So um, obviously our Equip series starts back this Wednesday. If you have not been a part of this so far, man, you're missing out on something really special. Um, I assure you, I do sit in the chairs also when I teach. I promise (laughs) they just got me on a day when the chairs didn't seem like being sitting in. Um, Happy New Year, church. Good morning to you all. And it is a pleasure and privilege to be here this morning in front of you all bringing God's word. I am so excited still of the holidays. Christmas has always been a big deal for me, even as a child, well, especially as a child, but even now as an adult. And it brings back a lot of nostalgia and memories. One of my favorite memories is not so much of something that I would get for Christmas, but it was always a commercial that would come on around Christmas time. And there was a song associated with this commercial, a jingle. And I'm going to need some help. It went a little like this. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. Come on, y'all. I don't want to grow up because, baby, if I did... There we go. Amen. Amen. I guess we can, Brian, don't, don't, you know, don't. (laughs) Man, what excitement it was to be a child, right? Some of y'all are still there at heart, at least. Amen. And um, there's so much that we can learn from children. We lost a dear brother this weekend, one of our deacons. He was a grown man who served and ministered to our children dearly, yet he modeled childlike faith. And we're going to miss him dearly, but oh, he's given us an example to follow. Children have something special about them that we as adults really should try to model, to be honest with you. And scripture talks about that. As we continue through our series on Mark, we begin Today at chapter 10, verses 13, all the way through 45. Now, if you've noticed through the notes, we aren't preaching verses 1 through 12 this morning because if you came for the marriage conference um, or the weekend of the marriage conference that was mentioned then. So we'll pick up today at verse 13 and we'll go all the way through verses 45. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me again to Mark chapter 10, Verse 13, you can please stand with me as we read and honor God's word. For for sake of time, we will only read verses 13 through 16. And the word of God says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. For your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you for your spirit, which 
guides us as we seek you through your word. Lord, we ask that your spirit will speak to us clearly this morning. Let your word be clear. Remove distractions from us, Father God. Remove hindrances. Let us focus just on you. We pray for the young family this morning, Lord, even as they are mourning for the loss of Neil. May they be comforted, Lord, that his childlike faith has him with you. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I pray that you will let us glorify you in this time that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Our title for this morning's text is Enduring Faithfulness. Enduring Faithfulness. We have a large chunk of verses to go through. I feel like Pastor Ryan always gives me the biggest passages to challenge me, but that's okay. The Lord has given me the ability to rise to the occasion through Christ. In order to break this down, what I've done is created an illustration for you all. We have um, verses 13 through 45, and the reason why I created this visual is because I'm a visual learner, and um, it just helps me to understand things a little bit more. At the top, you will see verses 13 through 16. This is the main focus of this entire passage. But there are two illustrations that Jesus gives us to make the point that he's making in 13 through 16. And those two illustrations are found in verses 17 through 31 and verses 35 through 45. We're going to go through and look at this text as if there is a main focus and two illustrations. In each of the illustrations, after Jesus gives the illustration, he explains it. He's a good teacher. The center of this text, you'll find verses 32 through 34, which is Christ for the third time in this gospel predicting his passion. As we go through this text systematically, we'll further build on the point that Mark's been making all along that Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. And our main point, our main idea for this text is that complete and simple faith in Jesus alone is all that he requires. Complete and simple faith in Jesus alone is the key to enduring faithfulness as a Christian. As we begin in verses 13 through 16, we've read that already, so I'll not read it for sake of brevity, but we understand that Jesus calls us to have faith like a child. A lot of times this text is used to justify children's ministry and youth ministry, and we love children at this church. We have a great youth program. We have a great children's program, but friends, this text isn't a justification for youth ministry. It is Jesus uses children as an illustration by which we should hold ourselves in the way that we should walk with him. It gives us the example of how children believe and we too, as adults, should believe. There are a couple attributes of children or childlike faith that we can pick up from this text. In verse 14, we'll see that we come helpless and hopeful. 
to Jesus. In verse 15, we read that we come trusting and dependent to Jesus. In verse 16, we can read that we also should come for affection and blessing. Yes, Jesus can be affectionate. Jesus is affectionate with us. Our first main point is that childlike faith in Christ is all that is required of us. That's all. It's that simple. If you're here this morning and you think you can do a bunch of things and check a bunch of boxes and go through a whole system and all these different things, friends, I'm sorry, but it's just not so. Childlike faith is all that Jesus requires of us. I remember with my children, when they were little, one of my favorite things to do would be to toss them up in the air as far as I could get them in the air. My wife would always be frightened because she'd think I'd drop one of her babies. I never dropped them. Well, I didn't, I can't lie on the camera here. I may have dropped one of them a time or two just to be transparent, but it was probably in the water or on carpet. My point is that tossing them in the air was exhilarating, not only for them, but for me too, because they would just kind of laugh. You know what I'm saying? They'd be, and I'd toss them up. I'd chunk them up there, at least five, ten feet or whatever I could do, right? And so, but they wouldn't be afraid. They just want more and more until my arms got tired. Friends, that is what childlike faith is. It's, it's believing and trusting our Father as he has us sometimes in midair, knowing that he will catch us, knowing also that he has the power to project us, but knowing mostly that he lovingly is there for us. What happens, though, to our childlike faith as we age? If I try to toss up my brother Jacob in the air, he would not laugh. <laughs> I wouldn't either. He would be afraid He'd be wondering, what am I doing with them, perhaps? Friends, there's something that we lose as we grow up. There's one commentator that says, we tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells the adults to model themselves after children. Are you placing your faith in Jesus this morning as as simply as a child? Are you finding it difficult to rest in him right now? Do you feel as if you are free falling in life? Do you look up and see the sky falling? Friends, he's asked us to come to him with faith like a child. Not blind faith, but trusting in him because he can provide. John chapter 15 verse 4 tells us to abide in him. And Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus simply wants us to trust him completely as a child. And he gives us two illustrations to make this point. The first is found in verses 17 through 31. There are two significant hindrances, friends, of childlike 
faith. And the first we find in this first illustration that Jesus gives us, our first illustration again is found in verses 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, yet you lack one thing alone. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Our second main point for our sermon today is that faith in material wealth will leave you bankrupt. This gentleman had a lot of attributes, and I'd like to just spend a few moments doing a brief characterization or character study on this this guy. If we look at him just from the surface level, we'd seem to think that he was pious. He was Outwardly eager, possibly even zealous, because he ran up to Jesus. He just didn't didn't walk up to Jesus. He ran up, and then he knelt before Jesus. We don't see this happen a lot in Scripture, yet he did. He knew his law. He was well-versed in God's word. He was familiar with who Jesus was. Some would say that he knew of Jesus. He even called him a good teacher. He was concerned about eternity even. He'd been faithful since his youth. Friends, if this brother walked into church today, we'd think that he was probably one of the most utmost members of our congregation. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. But Jesus got to the heart of the matter real quick. He said that he lacked one thing, and that one thing that he lacked was the most important of all, for he lacked love for his neighbor. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 reads, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 read, What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works can the faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking the daily food and one of you says to him go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them needs needed for the body what good is that and so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead his love for his neighbor was replaced by his love for the world. In 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's another story in Gospel of Luke of a rich man who was a tax collector who came to Christ and actually had a genuine conversion. We find his story in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 tell the story, but I'd like to focus on verses 6 through 10, which read, so the, this is Zacchaeus as he's responding to Jesus. So Zacchaeus, he hurried and came down and received him, which is Jesus, joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood before and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and saved the lost. The rich man was fond of his possessions, and his possessions were his God, and this God led him to having a shattered and bankrupt faith in God. The text tells us that Jesus looked at him and had pity on the man. When we read that he looked at him, a deeper understanding is really that Jesus searched this man. As if in Psalm 139, we see that Jesus searches our hearts to determine our true intent. This man was searched by God and found lacking. And then the man left disheartened, sorrowful, broken, perhaps even worse than he had come to Jesus. This man had great possessions, yet he left bankrupt. As Jesus seeks to explain this illustration, he begins in chapter, 20, or chapter 10, verse 23, all the way through 31, which reads, and Jesus looked at him and said, excuse me, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked and said, with a man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. As he gives them this explanation of his illustration, he begins talking about the camel, which was the largest animal in Palestine 
of Jesus' day. And then the eye of a needle, which is the smallest hole that anything could go through. He takes the largest creature he could find with the smallest hole to make the point very simply. Friends, it is almost impossible for anyone who has wealth to trust in God. You see, money comes between us and our God because very simply, it becomes our God. It becomes our source of dependency. It becomes that which we look to for hope. It becomes that which we place our faith in. It's interesting that during a recession, we can almost quantifiably understand that there will be an increase in mental health, in suicide, and substance abuse. So much so that agencies that help and work in these areas began to plus up their staff and increase their resources during a recession because they understand where there is a lack of money in the system, a lack of money in the economy, a lack of opportunities in the economy due to folks having their value placed in their wealth, they will experience a significant psychological event which may lead to them feeling like they don't need to live anymore because their sense of value has been lost. That's scary, friends. And as we look at the times now, I would ask, let us, as God's people, be a source, an example of hope and joy to those who are frightened right now. Who look at the markets and say, oh, woe is me. Who look at the numbers daily and start to lose their minds. Let us find our value, friends, our source of worth in Jesus alone. You see, the rich man knew the commandments, but there was one that he forgot, pretty much the whole first half. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, this is not in your notes, but we find the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And Moses writes, and God spoke, to all, spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the inequity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me, love me and keep my commandments. Timothy's letter from Paul elaborates on this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Friends, why is it that Jesus talks all about money all the time? All the time, Jesus talks about money. And as a church that preaches expositionally through God's word, we will talk about these issues as well. I'm not asking you to come up here and give all your money to the church. 
That is not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to give your heart to Jesus. There's a difference, friends. Over 15% of all the preaching of Jesus was on money. 11 out of the 39 parables were on money. There are over 2,300 verses in Scripture on money, which means if you're reading your word regularly, then you are regularly reminded of this truth, but also of this danger, friends. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, we read, his master said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. These are the words that Jesus said to the servant who he had given a certain amount of talents while he stepped away. Friends, we have all been given things. You've gotten here this morning. You have a vehicle perhaps or some means of transportation or you caught an Uber. I don't know. Some of you have boats and RVs and homes and I'm not here to guilt you about those things. Are you using those things for the glory of of God, Do you recognize that God is the giver of all of your talents, friends? And are you using those to leverage for the kingdom of God? Money is simply a tool that God has given us, friends. Our value cannot be on the things down here, but it must be on heavenly things. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, We read, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. Matthew Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, friends, there is your heart also. Jesus gives us a clue of what it looks like to win in his kingdom, not in the world. In verse 31, he gives us this small but impactful thought. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. As he continues with his second illustration, in verses 35 through 45 of Mark chapter 10, he begins with the illustration and then the illustration, excuse me, the explanation of the illustration The illustration is found only from verses 35 through 41, which reads, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in other places these are called the sons of thunder, which I like that name, that's pretty cool, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want for me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit at your right and one at your left hand, in glory, And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. 
And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. In the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. Our third and final point this morning is placing your trust in worldly power will leave you weakened. Placing your trust in worldly power will leave you weakened. I think it's great to take God's word and look at these different characters and start to describe them. And So I've used that tool again to give us an idea of James and John and just where their value sat. Just as we did a characterization of the rich man early, I'd like to do a brief characterization of James and John here. Now, a couple things that we can see about them is that they were ambitious. They were ambitious. These disciples understood that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. And they saw him as the Messiah. So you know what that means. The Messiah is coming to take his throne. Oh, man, we need to jump on this opportunity right here and capitalize on this man's glory and see if he'll let us take his right and his left position. Which means they're also power hungry. They didn't want to just serve Jesus in his new kingdom. They wanted the glory. They wanted to rule in Jesus' new kingdom. And then lastly, they were selfish. They were a team of 12 disciples. There's no mention of the other 10 disciples. They weren't concerned about them. These two brothers were only concerned about themselves. And Jesus tries to correct them. He tells them that you're not able to handle the responsibilities that come with following me, like fully following me. Have you, friend, contemplated what it costs to fully follow Jesus? Is there benefit for you? Is there gain financially? Is there power, prestige, position? I heard about the church back in the day when it was cool to be a part of a a community of Christians. If you were affiliated with a certain church, it was kind of like you would get notoriety, you would get promotions, even you would get consideration at different jobs and so forth. It was the smart thing to do for a business person even to be a part of a church because of all the business opportunities that were provided. Friends, following Jesus means simply laying down your entirety of your life, picking up your cross and following him. I think missionaries get this pretty pretty clearly. I spent a couple weeks with our mission partners in Africa. They understand the cost of following Jesus. They understand that there is no earthly gain that comes from this. As a matter of fact, there is typically earthly loss. But the heavenly gain... The heavenly gain, friends, far outseeds anything that we can lose here on this earth. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, 
We see a scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you want to go or wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own. James and John said that they were able to drink of the cup that Jesus drank and be baptized with the same baptism. And Jesus responded, oh yeah, you will drink of my cup. You will be baptized like I am. He was prophesying their martyrdom. We know that at the time that Mark had written this story, James was already put to death by Herod. We find that in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. It's believed that John also later on was put to death. These two brothers didn't know it yet, but they would have to give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Jesus transitions, or as Mark transitions into an explanation of verses 35 through 41, we pick up the story in verse 42, which reads, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are concerned, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be the servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is where we get the idea of servant leadership. Servant leadership is one of those things which the world and corporate leadership has tried to take and own as their own. I've heard this mentioned more times outside of the church that I care to mention, and unfortunately it always falls short of being the biblical example of servant leadership. As a matter of fact, when a new commander of a service was explaining her philosophy and introducing herself to her command, she introduced herself and said that she was a servant leadership or servant leader, excuse me. She described herself as a servant leader. And I I took issue with that because I don't think anyone that's ever described themselves as a servant leader is actually someone that leaves, leads by service. I struggle with that. Friends, we know that without Christ, it's impossible to lead while simultaneously serving. Without Christ as your example, without the Spirit of God in your heart, it is impossible to lead and serve. You have to do both. Jesus gave us that example. There are many, many examples of those who have led in positions of power and authority and failed to lead by serving. The misuse of power is great. Money and power go hand in hand and they drive a person mad. When I was taking psychology classes in my undergrad work, I came across the Stanford Prison Experiment. I'm sure some of you have seen that. 
Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq is a place where those who were charged to lead mutilated and shamed others. Guantanamo prison in Cuba, even. The Milgram shock experiment. These are all examples of individuals placed in power and authority who misused their power and authority and abused others as a reflection of their heart. Friends, abuse of power is prevalent among us. Let us not, with the power and the authority that God has given us, be the wrong example of this. You see, all of us have some power and some authority, whether you know it or not. Some of us in this room have great power and authority. Some of us in this room have small power of authority. Even if it's over your bedroom, you still have power and authority. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 tells us, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You see, Jesus gave us the example by which to carry out our authority. He died to give us life. He took on our burdens to free us from our plight. He came after us that we may be eternally found. He showed mercy and grace to us. Now through faith we are accredited with righteousness. He is the Lord. He is the Lamb who gave his life and now reigns triumphantly in heaven forever and ever. Jesus is the example, friends, of the servant leader. How do you steward what God has given you? How do you steward your responsibility How do you steward the authority that God has given you? Are you accountable to others with that authority? Do you seek self-gain or do you seek the opportunity that the Lord has given you to leverage it for his kingdom? Friends, as we get ready to conclude, I'd like to bring back to your attention the illustration that I showed earlier. There's a main point, verses 13 through 16 of this passage. We have the two illustrations, that of the rich man in verses 17 through 31. Verses 35 through 45, we have the second illustration, which is that of James and John. Nestled right in the middle, however, are two key verses, actually three key verses, verses 32 34, which reads, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him 
and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He will rise. Mark gives us clues to the legacy of Jesus. At the end of each of the illustrations, we have this idea that to be first, we must be last. And to be last, we are first in God's kingdom. Somehow, the disciples had missed this. Somehow, they failed to make the connection. This is the third time here in Mark that Jesus foretells his passion. Friends, how many times have we been reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus? How many times has he told us to be first, you must be last? How many times has he reminded us that he has given his life for all, that our true value and sense of worth is found in him? Yet how many more times must we be reminded that Jesus is the true source of our strength, our value, our purpose, our everything. And as you begin this year, you may have some resolutions in mind to lose weight or lower your blood pressure or get your sugar numbers together or, I don't know, put another zero at the end of your bank account. I don't know. Whatever. Those are not necessarily bad things to hope for. Friends, I'm asking you today at the beginning of this new year to resolve in your hearts to make Jesus your complete Lord and Savior. Lay down your life, which means giving up your possessions and your positions. Pick up your cross and follow him. Only Mark records in this third passion um, illustration in verses 32 through 34 that Jesus led them. He walked before Friends, we are to follow Jesus. And if you've never placed your faith in him, if you found yourself distracted maybe by position, by authority, by prestige, by money even, maybe a promotion or a fat Christmas bonus came your way and you forgot your source of hope and strength. Friends, it is Jesus Christ alone. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, we read, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, One believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. I'm going to pray in closing and give you the opportunity with your mouth to confess the belief that you have in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you have reminded us that money and power can get in our way as we seek to follow you. For you laid down both. All the wealth in the world belong to you. 
and all the power in the world belonged to you, Jesus, yet you laid it all aside and took up a cross. And for our sins, Lord, you gave your life. You gave it all. And in response, we confess that we believe that all we have is yours, Lord. All of our value, all of our purpose is found in you. All of the wealth that you've given us, the material items, Lord, may we leverage them for your kingdom. Any position, any authority, any power that you've given us, Lord, may we turn it to you. Search our hearts, Lord. Remove from us any obstacle to having us fully walk, to fully commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.